just before you start listening to this podcast, a reminder that we have a special subscription offer. You can get 12 issues of The Spectator for £12, as well as a £20 Amazon voucher. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher if you'd like to get this offer. Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Books podcast. I'm Sam Leith, the literary editor of The Spectator, and this week I'm very pleased to be joined by Ian Sansom, a regular critic for our pages, and as it turns out, a great authority on W.H. Auden. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if the word great authority Which he already is. disclaimed. <laughs> Let's put it this way, Ian has spent 25 years or so utterly immersed in Auden and Audeniana, and his new book, which is the result of all this, it's called September the 1st, 1939, Biography of a Poem. So he spent 25 years studying Auden and has now written a book about one of his yes, poems. That What's bit, that about? Yes. Well, it, I, I mean, it was my intention to write a massive book about Auden's life and work. And then over the years, my ambi- that was my ambition. And then I realised what my actual grasp might be rather than my reach. And it ended up as just that one. Po- and it, it just seemed... What seemed possible 25 years ago, I realised a few years ago I was going to have to scale down my ambitions. And also, obviously, because there's the anniversary coming up, 80 years since its first publication, I thought, well, now is the time to turn all of this apparently pointless effort to some, you know, to some consequence. Uh, Anniversary aside, why this one poem? One of the things that will strike, you know, most readers is, okay, WH Auden didn't like this poem of his own. And you, I think, are four lines in before you say, well, this is where the poem begins to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but I, don't you think a poem, poems are fascinating, not because they're, like writers, writers aren't fascinating because they're consistently brilliant. Or on the contrary, what is fascinating is the kind of intermittency of brilliant. That's what's really exciting and interesting in a poem or a book or in a person. If someone was brilliant the whole time, they would just be utterly tiresome, wouldn't they? So I think that I was attracted to the poem because it had all. It's got all of the best of Auden in it and all of the worst of Auden in it. So in that sense, it's kind of it's a kind of a, a carrier of everything that I might possibly be uh, have to say about Auden. And Auden knew that himself. He knew that, he, as you say, he not only came to dislike it, he despised it. He did everything he could to surprise press it, get rid of it, try and ensure that nobody read it anymore. So it's got this very odd kind of history where it is a poem that Auden did his best to shun, get rid of, suppress, disown, and yet it's probably his most famous poem. And so apart from maybe Stoffel, you know, Funeral yeah, Blues that was in uh, the film. So yes, Richard Curtis was responsible rich- for one, one revival of Auden and Osama bin Laden yes. for another. <laughs> I, 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 draw, I, draw, I draw no uh, conclusions from that at all. But yes, it's an odd... I mean, and that doesn't happen to all poets. They don't always... So there's a kind of... There's that thing with Auden where he... It's like a zombie poem. You cannot put it down. No matter Auden tried, you know, his uh, executors have tried to kind of uh, obey his wishes and not have it republished, and yet it keeps, it keeps popping up. And it keeps coming back. You can't kill it off. So there's a que- there's a why question here, and the why question could go either way. It's either why do you think Auden himself particularly hated it, and also why do you think it particularly bounces back? Auden hated it, I think, because 
I mean, it's it's a bit easy to divide Auden into two halves, and lots of critics and readers have done this over time. So you've got the Auden of the 30s, the English Auden, uh, who writes this kind of socially engaged political poetry. He's the court poet of the left in England. And then off he goes to America at the beginning of 1939, and this, this heralds the age of the later Auden, the American Auden, which is much cosier and comfier and is kind of where he ends up writing poems about, you know, reading the New York Times and looking in the obituary pages, and it all becomes a little bit sort of um, charming. But it, it, that's, a, that's a false distinction between those, those two halves, but there is some truth in it. And I think Auden, when he kind of goes to America, it was September the 1st, 1939, is a kind of hangover from the 30s Auden, um, which is to say it's a poem which tells people what to think what to feel. Uh, we must love one another or die, of course, is the fa- one of the famous lines. And, the and the most notorious one, I was going to ask, that's the line he revises. Yes, isn't it? yes. So he changes it to, we must love, one- even worse, we must love one another and die, which just is, is a truism, just kind of, well, it's not a tr- even a truism, it's kind of, he, he's di- diluted a kind of oratorical kind of um, invitation to act in a particular way to a kind of half and half, isn't it? It's a kind of a truism that kind of hacked onto the end of something. What do they call it if you go to a get cut and shunt? It's a cut yeah. and shunt. That's no good. And so he then thinks, well, do you know what? The whole poem, in his words, is infected. It's a bad poem. and it, it, I think So it's it, an infected backwards it's a, by that. Yes. It's dishonesty kind of yes, it, leaches it, through it. It, it kind of... It, infiltrates into every part of the poem in a sense because it's it, it's this is Auden kind of viewing things from a great height oh I, you know I've got these insights into accurate scholarship can you know can reveal all of this to us and then these pronouncements about the common man or the average man the sensual man in the street all of this sort of stuff and Auden the later Auden looks at this and thinks do you know I'm not really comfortable with with that anymore quite reasonably so and because he liked to fiddle around, because he felt proprietorial over his... Not all poets do. felt really proprietorial. He thought, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have a go at that and change it. And I'll tinker with it. Oh, that doesn't work. Now I'll get rid of it completely. Do you share Randall Jarrell's view, which I, I have to confess I slightly share, that Auden almost never revised his poems and improved them? Um, well, I mean, I, I think he yeah. fucked it up lullaby by putting turning colonial yes. ecstasy into sensual ecstasy. He's, you know, yeah. he's certainly... Well, another. I mean, this one. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think. I, I think Jarrell is right about Auden almost across the board. Jarrell was one of these. So Randall Jarrell is one of these American poets who was a better reviewer of poetry than a writer of poetry himself. But his and his insights into kind of how poetry works and what poets do was really almost unsurpassed. He was completely brilliant at it. And you're quite right. He he thought that Auden, in this um, kind of habit of his of revision did bad always and I think that's probably the case apart from I'm trying to think of uh, some examples well when he changed you know when Orwell says to him George Orwell reads the poem Spain where Auden talks about uh, the necessary murder and Orwell says writes about the poem and he says this is the kind of line that could only only be written by someone who was never there when the trigger was pulled or something like that and he's quite right so Auden changes that line so he does occasionally make improvements in the face of other people's suggestions, but when he's <laughs> when he's doing it himself alone, I think that it's almost always bad. Yeah, that necessary murder thing does touch on something. I, I don't know. It's a nagging feeling I have, and I think you allude to it a bit in the book. That sense that Auden, he loves a grand statement. He's got such prosodic ease and such rhetorical kind of natural excellence. Yeah. He's 
He's a virtuoso. He loves to, he yes. loves to be magniloquent, and he's. It sort of doesn't much matter. Love each other and die. Love each other or die. The scan the same. You know, the, there isn't anything profoundly invested in whether what he says is true. Yeah, I mean, is he? You know, he's yeah. kind of posing. He's kind of throwing a a grand line out there. Do you feel that about him? Yeah, and that's what troubled him. I think he knew full, and it must be. T- I mean, I I wouldn't know if you are truly blessed if you are someone who's been kissed by the gods at birth and you have those kind of virtuosic skills and you can just do it which which Auden could now he worked very hard but at the same time he was kind of preternaturally gifted I would have thought then that you might come to despair of those gifts and talents a little bit and I think Auden did and you might become obsessed with thinking about writing about uh, your ideas of truth and beauty and this sort of and it, that, it, hence his kind of obsession with people like Hannah Arendt and uh, all of those theologians that he started reading when he went to America um, and kind of became slightly obsessed with and kind of was always trying to show that he was a, if you like a real intellectual not just a kind of showman I would have thought that would that might eat away at you mightn't it yeah do you not that I know I mean it seems a funny mismatch as well because he's you know, he is, as you say, certainly in the early half of his career, he's, he is very political. He's expressly political. He's writing about, you know, maps can really point to places where life is evil now, you know, Nanking, Dachau. He's got, he's sort of interested in the world. But the vibe of the poems, quite often, you know, Ordenland doesn't feel very concrete, does it? It very often has that sort of, it wants to become a myth or a fairy tale or an abstraction Yes, well, he's got. He, he does have those kind of landscapes that are the landscapes of his childhood, limestone landscapes, and that sort of. So, so I think what you what you maybe have is a weird combination of the very detail, you know, the cigarette smouldering in the in the in the in the border, and uh, I stand the crux left of the warship. That's that sort of deep, weird, deep, really specific, weird detail combined with this, as you say, this kind of mythic kind of wonderland. Fairyland, and I think that's what makes that what puts the tension into the early poems and makes them exciting. And of course, maybe in some of the later poems, although some of the later poems are rather nicely specific about you know where he's living in Kirchstetten in Austria, he's got this little house with Chester Kalman. Um, and uh, some of those poems I think are rather touching and the poems about home and place, but the, the big kind of stuff in the middle, which is kind of abstracted kind of uh, here's uh, let me open the top of my brain and show you what's in there that's maybe less impressive in some way yeah you describe him somewhere as I, I, I'll, I'll find the reference because I was so struck by it um I mean it's it, I think you mean it as a compliment um <laughs> but so. you, is he as being a essentially a kind of belt-fed rubbish collector <laughs> um, oh yes one useful way of thinking about Auden's massive oeuvre, or at least one useful way I have of thinking about Auden's massive oeuvre, is to imagine it as a kind of depository fed by his extraordinary brush-equipped pickup belt of a brain. <laughs> yes, but that's that's it, isn't it? It's just he sweeps everything in. It's as, it's. A, I think Elizabeth Bishop described him as a kind of magpie, but it's not like. It. I mean, he's much more. He's much more productive. It's much more. It's much more weirdly efficient than that. That's just sweeping up of material again, and, and you know he reads Freud, and lo and behold, boom! You get this massive sweep of Freud coming in. So he's not spelling fantasy with a P A. Yes, all yeah. of that sort of thing, which is rather irritating, actually. But um, but nonetheless, massively impressive. Where you get the sense. 
sense of, of somebody able to kind of read something and then almost immediately kind of ingest it and then do something with it. That's that's really what Auden was capable of doing. Now, in that, that same paragraph, you talk about, you, you say, you know, my own book, therefore, is, is something like a kind of mini-mart or a corner shop of W.H. <laughs> Auden. I mean, there is a sense in the book of, I, I, mean, I don't want to say sifting through the rubbish, because that doesn't matter, no, but no. Of, of engaging with this stuff as detritus, yeah. um, of you know, just chucking a lot of things in. I mean, how, how did you kind of conceive the book? Because it's, I mean, almost its, its major rhetorical figure would be occultatio. You're always saying, you know, I think this. Actually, no, I think the opposite. Yes. This is what some people would say, but I'm not saying that. Or yes. I, you know, I mean, I think probably about, you, you might have made a count, about 30% of the book is actually in parenthesis. Mm. You know, did you just start and find its form like that, or did you, was there a design in mind? Part of me was trying to imitate, this, uh, come up with my own version of Auden's essay style. When you read Auden's prose, it, it, the prose is as impressive as the poetry in lots of... He was a brilliant writer of occasional pieces, and I tried to find a, a way of uh, kind of writing my own version of his attempt to encompass everything and write about everything and include everything. And I maybe struggled to do so, but the, one of the ways you're absolutely right, in which I, I, I found I could, was to do it in a kind of, on the one hand, on the other hand, styly, which is not, you know, there's, that's not particularly innovative, but it's, it allowed me to say things that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to say. And I think it also allowed me to admit that although the book contains close readings of the poem and other poems it's not a scholarly work and i th i think part you spend of a lot of chapter dissociating yourself or, or at least um doing a sort of i am not worthy yes. vis -a -vis scholarship you know i think and i think that's partly because i think one of the things that happens to one is if you as I did, went to university and you start to then read great poems and you've exposed to great art and literature, I think there's the idea that this somehow is necessarily uplifting and a good thing. And in fact, I, and I'm sure, surely others, find it simultaneously extremely depressing because you think, oh gosh, bloody hell, look at that, that's incredible. Um, and you know, and, and you feel, it's like going into a cathedral. You feel necessarily rather worm-like at, yes. at the end of it. I mean, there is a, a, a thread through it. I mean, it reminds me slightly, and I don't know whether this book was on your mind when you were writing it, of Jeff Dyer's Out of Sheer Rage, right. which there is a are. book about trying and failing to write a book about D.H. Lawrence. Yes. I mean, did, was there that vibe for you? Of there's, well, there's maybe more of Jeff Dyer in Jeff Dyer than there is of me in, in this, I, I would yeah. think. Um, but yes, but I do rather admire books that take a bit of a swerve. I do like a swerve. And Jeff Dyer is a great swerver around Lawrence in that book. But there are, I suppose, other kind of scholarly or kind of sub-scholarly models for that. I'm trying to think off the... I mean, the, the Ian Hamilton book about Salinger, for example. You know, how do you write a book about... Well, it, as it turns out, you can't. So what you do is you write a book about not writing a book about... That sort of thing. I always yeah. thought that was rather... I mean, it's it, perhaps it's whimsical, uh, perhaps it's irritating, but that's one mode of approaching a subject slant-wise. Yeah. As Emily Dickinson might have it. Tell it slant. Yes. Is, well, speaking of slant-wise... You you spend a bit of time saying you know 
the eye in a poem is not to be trusted is is the eye in this poem Auden mm. and then you sort of have a whole section I think that says <laughs> yes it's Auden yeah. um, is the eye in this book you well no more so than any eye any written eye it's clearly not uh, but at the same time it might be a vague approximation so uh, in so far as there is material contained in the book which indicates certain facts about me as a person, some of those facts are indeed true. Which are the bits in the poem that you like? I mean, you know, you said you don't like the Vatic kind of oratorical mm. bossy mode. I like, as with all poems, I admire, what I admire is the, auda- overall, I admire the audacity of the whole thing. It is, it is massively, I like the fact that, you know, it begins, I sit in one of the dives on 52nd Street. I li- and the reason I like that is because, in a sense, that's Auden showing off right at the beginning, because he's writing this, but he's gone to America. Everyone's gone, oh, Auden's going to America. He's deserting us, you know, and uh, this is, this is awful. And then I sit in one of the dives on, on 52nd Street, is is strikes me as being a, a bit like a postcard that you receive from someone who says, hey, guys, having a great time over... Do you know, it's got that kind of grandstanding to it. But at the same time, I sit... He, he's coming... He's, at the same time, he's trying to lower himself down to be on the same level as you. The So all of those things are going on at the same time. I think that's what I love in Auden, is that you've got the high and the low. You've got, oh, I'm up high looking down at you, common man, average person. But then he's able actually to come down to, to that level. That's, that is bloody impressive to be able to do that. People who can do that are very very rare i don't i don't think elliot could do it i don't think pound could do it for example yeah he's it's also formally we should just talk about that one of the reasons it took off on 9 level or when the you know the unmentionable load of death obviously had something yes. to do with that and the new yorky theme but it's 11 stanzas of nine lines each nine lines nine stanzas of 11 lines that's 11 it. Stanzas nine of, of 11. Lines. Nine nine of 11. Of 11. Yes, 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 yes yes yeah yes 99 lines 99 lines and yeah. each a single unit of thought a single Brilliant. sentence isn't it oh, that's bl- again massively imp- as a form you read it and you just think wow you do i mean i i think at the start that i say i just say wow because each as you rightly say each stanza is a unit of thought and it, it kind of builds and builds and builds and kind of it's it, it is a as a piece of work, and Auden was obsessed with ideas of work. You know, I'm labouring away at my poems. He, he saw that as a form of work. Uh, and as a piece of work, it is very impressive. Uh, in, crafts, in craftsmanship. Yeah. I mean, didn't he, as a young man, say, you know, determine he set himself exercises to write a thousand words or equivalent in verse every single day? Well, he may. He may well, it's, it's exactly the sort of thing he would have done. He, was, he certainly he saw it as a kind of vocation, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And... I was intrigued by something you wrote in the book as well about thinking of him in terms of crime writing, which is another thing, you know, that you both read a lot of crime novels and do. And he, you said he always opens strongly and ends strongly. He is a great punchline poet, isn't he? Yes, yes. And that's a, that is, again, wherein lies his strength, therein lies his weakness. And that's what, and he knew it. He knew that he, it was, so he calls poetry famously memorable speech. He knew that you had to come up with that kind of, there's zingers in Auden. That's why people return to, that's why after 9-11, for example, I think people come to, people return to this poem again and again because it seems to offer quite easy answers to very, very complex questions or problems and that's again Auden could do it and he was suspicious of himself for for being able to do that and rightly so 
Uh, but yes, that that kind of uh, ability to kind of end, you know, may I like them composed of eros and of dust show an affirming flame. To, you know, it's like jazz hands. It's in a sense, it's <laughs> magnificent, but it's terrible at the same time. It makes you feel pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Other 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 Auden poems you would want to light on. If, I mean, if you got the chance to do the same, trip, would you go through? I don't know, lullaby or the fall of Rome or. I'd probably do the sea in the mirror, but it's t- it's. I think it's one of the great poems. Uh, you know, the it's the four quartets that nobody talks about. It's the cantos that nobody writes about. Uh, the sea because it's it's a it's a complex, very very complex poem. So I'd probably have a crack at that, but I'd, I'm not going to live long enough to do. That's it. I'm done. You're done I'm, with Auden. I'm done with Auden. I, it, it did uh, when I finished. It did feel like a kind of escape. It did feel like a kind of escape, having been really enthralled to Auden for really my whole since I was a teenager. Um, not that I started reading Auden then, but kind of becoming interested in poetry and trying to think about it and work out how to write about it. How might someone like me, an ordinary bloke, end up? writing about poetry in a way that seemed real if you like to my own lived how 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 could i report uh, uh, kind of on in Auden's words from in memory of wb yeats how the works of, of a poem or a writer were modified in the guts of the living how did that work for me and that was my, that book was my attempt to do that i've got no more there's no modification in my guts going on <laughs> i'm glad to hear i'm glad to hear it we're in a relatively small room um do you I mean, how has Auden himself overall, do you think, been modified in the guts of the living? Because as you write early on in the book, you know, there was, I think somebody, was it McNeese, writes to him and says, look, I haven't got time to write your long letter, so let's just take it for granted you're important. Mm. And, you know, it was the age of Auden. He, you know, in the 30s, he was kind of blotted out of the sky. Yeah. Um, Has his reputation kind of held up, do you think? I mean, do you think people think of Auden now? I mean, as you say, there have been these bounces for individual anthology Mm. pieces. I think his repute. I mean, reputations, literary reputations, are often very perplexing to try and work out how you know how do they work, where have they come from, where will they go next? And Auden is no exception to that. He's certainly someone who's had something of a roller coaster ride. I think certainly when he went to America, and then he becomes an American citizen, people kind of someone like Larkin becomes very sniffy about Auden, where it's it's that you know he's doing something very different. And I think that sort of sense of Auden having kind of deserted his homeland and gone and become this kind of uh, minor Atlantic Goethe was a sense that kind of hung around him for a long time. But uh, you point out, don't you, that Elliot? Elliot got, gets claimed by anthologies on both sides yes. of the Atlantic and Auden gets the opposite. He's yes. not, not yeah. at all. And I th- it, that's odd, isn't it? I think that is odd. And so I think as a... Uh, his reputation at the moment, I don't know. I couldn't say. But certainly he doesn't seem to figure as a significant uh, a, a writer as I think he, he probably is compared to some of the other kind of poets that we, that we might write about or speak about. Um, I mean, he's he's done okay, let's be honest. But um, he's, he's still in print. You can still, still get a book, book about one of his yes, poems. Well, there yeah. we are. So um, yeah, it's a it's a. I don't. I, I mean, reputations. I don't know. Do you think? I mean, just out of it might might have crossed your mind. What do you ever think about what Auden would have made of your book? Do you think he'd have liked it? Um, I, for a long time, as I start uh, because I, I'd amassed all of this stuff about Auden over years and kind of read everything and read every article I could get my hands on over decades. 
I would sometimes begin to have kind of imaginary conversations with Auden in my mind, as, as you would, as perfectly normal. It's the same as if you're into tennis, you think, oh, there's me playing Roger Federer. You know, what would it be like? That sort of thing. So um, I, I, I have to admit, I have had those imaginary conversations with Auden in my mind. I don't think he would be that impressed, to be honest. I think, in fairness, uh, he would know the difference between a guru and a disciple. So, Well, he could at the very least be grateful because it's a terrifically <laughs> entertaining and interesting book. Um, in Sanderson, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I want to let you know, too, about an upcoming event where I'll be talking to Robert Harris about his new novel, The Second Sleep, for a live recording of this podcast. The event takes place on Wednesday, the 23rd of October at the Emmanuel Centre in Westminster. You can get tickets at spectatorcouk forward slash events. I very much hope you'll come and join us.